Hello, I'm Matt, and welcome to Fact Smacks. It's the podcast good enough to get you a C. Minus. My name is Matt, and I have a story to tell. My name's Kev, and I have a story to interrupt. Now, I... Kev. Matthew. I actually feel bad that this episode is our April Fool's Day episode. Okay? Because... Sure. I don't want anyone to think that I'm fooling around here. <laughs> I see um, something's happened to your, um, your accent yeah, let's, there, let's, Matthew. Yeah, let's get past that. Huh. Sure. So, you're not going to rate me on my intro? Uh, I'd, I'd give it a solid C. Okay. Minus. Uh, okay, so I guess as it is, uh-huh. we start with Fact Smacks. Do you, have you actually prepared anything? Have I prepared anything? <laughs> oh, not Matthew. I've got facts. I've got schmack. Are you ready? That's the question. Oh, I'm ready. Okay. Fact or schmack, Matthew. Number one. Deepak Chopra, the well-known Indian-American author and alternative medicine advocate, helped create a series of comic books featuring superheroes from India. What was the name again? Deepak Chopra. Chopra. That sounds plausible. Okay. Number two. The beloved comic and cartoon character Popeye has four nephews, and their names are Pipeye, Peepie, Popeye, and of course... Poopy. So, Popeye has a nephew named Popeye. Factor schmacked, Matthew. Are you familiar with the classic movie Citizen Kane? Rosebud. It features a certain snow globe. That very snow globe has gone on to appear in every Steven Spielberg-directed film since then. Since Citizen Kane. Since Citizen Kane. I don't know where it would be in Jaws. Could be in the background. Could be on the side table. There a shark. Could be in a gift shop. Could be anywhere, Matthew. I'm going to go for a drink very soon. Uh, Okay. Okay, so. Time's a ticking. What do you now got? you're in your, your element there. Uh, so, tell me the first one again. Deepak Chopra. The right, right, Indian comic books. American author. An alternative medicine advocate helped create a series of comic books featuring superheroes from Indy. Factors are act. Time's a ticket. <laughs> I'm going to say... That's a schmacked. Is that your final answer, Matthew? Yes. And I that- mean, I told. I mean, Popeye. <clears throat> ah. The Popeye one may also be a schmacked, just because I can't picture a cartoon 
character having a nephew with the same name. Well, it was Popeye. Popeye. Oh, Popeye. Oh, see, so now you change your story. No. Pipeye, Peepie, Popeye, and of course, Poopie. Ah, that's also, that's, that's, that's schmacked. Are you saying I have gone I'm saying they're both schmacks. Two, two schmacks, yes. And a fact. Well, Matthew, this is how I climb up ahead on the leaderboard. Because, in fact, the only schmack in this list is that Steven Spielberg has never used a snow globe from Citizen Kane in any of his movies, Matthew. Ha! How dare you use movie references against me and then try to just muddy the waters by some well-known author? (laughs) Ah, muddy waters. That's a reference that wouldn't be understood by our Australian friends, particularly Max. He doesn't know anything about music, does he, Matthew? Well, from what I've heard. Anyway, I'm going to set a scene for you, Kev. I'm ready. Kevin? Scene set away. The year is 1980. We're in Suffolk, England. At RAF Woodbridge, okay, a Royal Air Force base, which at the time was used by the United States Air Force. Now, I hate to do this to you. No, you don't. It is my job to interrupt. Woodbridge. Would that be because it was named after a wooden bridge, do you think? I don't know. I, uh, as I said, my research in this is only to that of a C minus. C minus. Check. Okay. Carry on. Okay. It's December. So it's cold. But not only is it cold, it's the Cold War. And this is a United States Air Force base, possibly holding nuclear weapons. Okay. Nuclear. Well, you know, Matthew, that I work with some nuclear material from time to time. but let's and not I dwell know, on that. Well, I'm just trying to get an air of the security because, you know, I used to work in a bank. Okay. Sure. So, 3 a.m., December 26th, a security patrol near the east gate of RAF Woodbridge saw lights apparently descending into a nearby Rendlesham Forest. Ah. Does that name mean anything to you? Uh, Rend Ocean, did you say? Rendlesham. Rendlesham. With yeah. a P on the end. No. Rendlesham. Yeah. Uh, nope, it sounds like a set of ink blots that realize that you have had too many drugs. Well, the servicemen initially thought it was a downed aircraft. But when first reported over Wait, the radio... Wait, stop you right there. Are we heading into alien territory, Matthew? You know how much I love aliens. Just wait for it. Oh, oh it's coming. When be first aliens. reported over the radio to the base control, one radio operator said, You sure it wasn't Santa Claus? They didn't say that. Yes? Yeah, you should check Santa out our Claus. episode on the real St. Nicholas. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but what you should know is that upon the serviceman entering the forest to investigate, what they saw has become known as Britain's Roswell. Oh, 
oh, was it teddy bears having a picnic? We're talking about the Rendlesham Forest incident. If you go into the woods today, you'll get a big surprise. Now, I'm not going to go too deep into this. Okay, don't So what has been reported in 1983, Colonel Ted Conrad, the base commander on record, recalls that five Air Force policemen spotted lights on what they thought was a small plane descending into the forest. Mm -hmm. Two of the men tracked the object on foot and came upon a large tripod-mounted craft. And they they tracked that... The tripod-mounted aircraft was they, on they, foot. They tracked in... They, they followed where the lights were descending to. But they the, went into the, the f- aircraft was on foot. It was on a tripod, no. three feet. No. That's, that's the worst one you've done. Okay. Okay. It had no windows, but was studded with a brilliant red and blue lights. Each time the men came within 50 yards of the ship, it elevated six feet in the air and backed away. Did it make a noise? Boom, boom, no. boom, boom, boom. There was, there was some noise. There was some very strange noises recorded, and we'll come back to that later on, but it's believed that they were nearby animals in distress. It was noises coming from their pants, I would assume. Okay, so they followed it for almost an hour through the woods and across a field until it took off at a phenomenal speed. Phenomenal. 1953, did you say? 1983. Oh, 83. Okay, so the incident was in 1980. In 1983 is when this report came from the base commander. Okay, so phenomenal in 1983 is still pretty quick. Okay. Phenomenal, yes. We definitely passed the sound barrier then. Wasn't a briskly walking moose or anything like that. Anyway, where was I here? So acting on these reports, uh, Colonel Conrad, Conrad began a brief investigation into the incident in the morning, and he went into the forest and located a triangular pattern um, made by the tripod legs. Oh. He did interview two of the eyewitnesses and concludes the lads saw something, but I don't know what it was. A, a triangular pattern from the legs. You would have yes. to imagine the legs are just three legs coming from the top. So it would just be three there was holes three, in the ground. There was ground. three, yes, but they were in a triangle triangular pattern let's that not get into the sounds like reaching thing. a little bit hey i found three holes randomly that could be a triangle well when you think about it any three holes they're either in a line or they they're in a triangle correct anyway i want to believe carry on matt okay so shortly after shortly after 4 a.m the local police were called to the scene but reported that the only lights that they could see were from Orford Ness Lighthouse, which was some miles away. Mm. After daybreak on the morning of the 26th, the servicemen returned to the small clearing near the eastern edge of the forest and found three small impressions on the ground. Okay, we might have gotten past it. Might have rewrote that by twice. Ah, okay. So what kind of um, impressions were they? Were they uh, like um, voices or like... um 
depressions into the ground. Impressions, oh, whatever impression. you want to think. Not impressions. Let's I not go they, into impressions this week. That's might, not wise. Thought maybe they did a good Frank Sinatra. Um, they also found burn marks and broken branches on nearby trees. Oh. At 10.30, the local police were called and again, and this time, um, the police said that they thought that these could have been made by animals. I, I that, was going to suggest that, Matt. Do they have flatulent possums in England like we do here in, um, in Canada? Because they will leave burn marks and, and broken, limbs. broken limbs on trees. Okay. Well, broken limbs on trees. There were some arms just hanging. No, no. Tree limbs. Legs. Okay. Tree limbs. Uh, so, look, please show Might be out. Now, there has been a photo released of the supposed landing site taken on the morning of the first sighting. Tell me you have it. In Georgina Brunei's book, You Can't Tell the People. Someone did. We know about it. Well, it's, it's time to introduce Deputy Base Commander, Lieutenant Colonel Charles Holt. Oh, thought it was going to be Schultz now for a second. Now, this guy is... Sorry? thought it was going to be Colonel Charles Schultz. No. <laughs> this guy is where a lot of the information comes from. Now, the first piece of primary evidence to be made available to the public was a memorandum written by Colonel... Oh, sorry. Lieutenant... Yeah, Lieutenant Colonel Charles Holt, um, to the Ministry of Defense. Now, this is known as the Holt Memo. Oh. Now, this was made publicly available under the United States Freedom of Information Act, 1983, and could be why the base commander has his official uh, statement in 1983. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the memorandum was dated 13th of January, 1981. Sure. Under the title, Unexplained Lights. You right there? I'm following along, it's fine. Now, the fact that this is two weeks after the incident is why some things don't quite match up. So, I'm going to read you uh -huh. directly from this sure. memo. Read. Read away. Okay, parts one and two. Early in the morning of... The 27th of December, 1980, so that's sure. one thing that's wrong, is the date. Approximately 0300 hours, two U.S. Air Force security pa police patrolmen saw unusual lights outside the back gate at RAF Wood Woodbridge. Woodbridge. Uh, thinking, don't, don't get into Woodbridge again. Thinking an aircraft might have, been, uh, might have crashed or been forced down, they called for permission to go outside and investigate. Permission to go outside and investigate, sir. So it is up. What it was like? Probably something like okay. that. The object was described as being metallic in appearance and a triangular in shape, approximately two to three meters across the base and approximately two meters high. That's not very It big. illuminated the entire forest with a white light. Ooh, the object well, health itself had pulsing red light on top and banks of blue lights underneath. The object was hovering or on legs. As the patrolman approached the object, it maneuvered through the trees and disappeared. At this time, the animals on, nearby, on a nearby farm went into a frenzy. The object was briefly sighted approximately an hour later near the back gate. The next day, three depressions, one 
and one and a half inches deep and seven inches in diameter were found where there had been sighted on the ground. The following night, the area was checked for radiation, beta and gamma readings of uh, one, I don't know this measurement here, but uh, millirentigens, but you probably know that having worked in- Sure, sure, yeah. Okay. You don't need to explain to me, move along. Now, they were recorded with peak readings in the uh, three- depressions near the center of the triangle where 0.5 to 0.7 millerentigen millerentigens your how is it pronounced c minus c minus <laughs> is how that's pronounced met yeah so those readings were on the sides of the trees towards the depressions so that's part one and two of that and we'll come two, back two meters by about two and a half meters yes yeah, so, so two and a half meters wide uh-huh it's odd that that's in meters. Because that's, that's not very big. No. no I'm not saying it's very with big. With all the, the, the bright lights, it sounds like it could be Disco Doctor Who, possibly. <laughs> now, it should be noticed, one of the servicemen, Sergeant Jim Pen uh, Peniston, later claimed to have encountered a craft of unknown origin while in the forest although there was no publicized mention of that at the time. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we'll come back uh, to the part three of that memory, uh, memo because right. uh, good old Lieutenant Colonel Holt went into the woods on December 28th, as mentioned there. Oh, Holty. And he went with several servicemen in the early hours of December 28th. Because he was scared. Report, and they took the radi radiation readings. Back up. Mm -hmm. And after the radiation uh, meeting, uh, meters were detected, or detecting, you know, we'll fix that up in editing. Sure. Um, they detected small similar burst over half a mile away from the landing site. And our good friend, Lieutenant Colonel Holt, recorded the events on a micro cassette recorder. Ooh, that's that was during edge technology. I had yeah, one of them was when during, I was younger. It was during that. Well, I've done a lot of recording. It's no way, <laughs> you know, we've all, all been there. Uh, it was during his investigation that a flashing light was seen in the field to the east, Just almost in line with who. the farmhouse, as the witness had seen on the first night. The, the Orford Nest Lighthouse is visible further to the east in the same line of sight. Matt, can now, we later, call this episode Dick Disco Doctor Who? We're going to get into some fun theories later, okay? Oh, okay, okay. I'm waiting. So, later, according to Holt's memo, three star-like lights were seen in the sky mm -hmm. to the north and one to the south, about 10 degrees above the horizon. Now, Holt said that the brightest of these hovered for two to three hours and seemed to beam down a stream of light from time to time. But astronomers have explained that these starlights may, uh, that these starlike lights as bright stars. Now, when I first read that, I read starbursts and I put a joke in there, but you know. I, I think that they were probably uh, Starlink satellites. Starlink uh, this satellites is well, well before I Starlink. I was out the back yard just last week and i i was like oh my god oh my god 
come and see this, come and see this. And I couldn't believe it. I, I tried to take a photo and, and, and then by the time anyone came, uh, they were just disappearing. And then they said, oh, you idiot. It's a Starlink launch. So that's probably what that was, I think, Matt. Okay, so in 1984, a copy of what's been known as the Holt tape, a recording made by, like the recording made by Lieutenant Colonel Charles Holt during his investigations on the second night, um, was released to the public. 17, almost 18 minutes of that can be found directly on Wikipedia, but I didn't listen to it all. I know you it's being a, uh, a UFO <laughs> enthusiast, uh, you might do that at some stage. Anyway, in 1984, the tape was released, it was released to UFO researchers by Colonel Sam Morgan. Now, at the time, he had succeeded uh, Ted Conrad as Holt's superior on the base. Ooh. Now, the tape chronicles Holt's investigation in the forest in real time, including taking the radio recordings, the sightings of the flashing lights between the trees, and the star-like objects that hovered and twinkled. Twinkled. Got okay. It. Okay. In, 19, in 1997, a Scottish researcher, James Easton, obtained the original witness statements made by those involved in the first night sightings. So that took one of like 97, 83, 17 years. That's uh, 14 years for that to come out. Okay. Information came out slowly. I believe that the first things that came out was the Holt memo. That was under a freedom of information. Um, but when did the widely published book that said, don't tell anyone anything come out? Because that sounds like a misstep. Uh, anyway, I'm sure we'll get to that. That was in, I didn't note that down, but I believe that was in C minus. Oh, I think that was in 1983. Okay. Or 1984. That's well, when this was kind of really well. I think that's going to add to the um, people knowing things, even though- Yeah, probably. It says don't tell We'll anyone. get back to some other, some other books okay, a little bit later. Okay, we'll carry on. Please So in 1997, Scottish researcher James Easton obtained the original eyewitness statements. Now, one of the witnesses, Ed Cabinsag, I'm not making that up, said Cabin in his statement- Cabinsag. Cabinsag. Okay. We figured the lights were coming from past the Not forest builder, since obviously. nothing. No, he was an eyewitness outside the base. Uh -huh. uh, we figured the lights were coming from past the forest since nothing was visible when we passed through the woods, uh, through the woody forest. We would see a glowing. Uh, we would see a glowing near the beacon light, but as we got closer, we found it to be lit up farmhouse. Ah. That's not an excuse for you. Uh, we've got a uh, we got it to a vantage point where we can determine what we were chasing. Only a beacon of a light off in the distance. Another participant, John Burrows, mm -hmm. also stated we could see a beacon going around, so we went towards it. We followed it for about two miles, just three kilometers, uh, before we could see it was coming from a lighthouse. That's John Burrows. Yes. I would have thought he'd see a beacon and go to ground. But that's just me. Oh, oh, Kev. 
Now, in 2010... Okay. Wait. Um, That's another 13, 14 years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, the now retired Colonel Charles Holt signed a notarized affidavit. Oh, which oh, Would you believe it? That's spelt differently than what I thought it would be spelt. <clears throat> anyway... So in which he uh, summarized again what had happened and then stated that he believed the event to be an extraterrestrial in origin. I knew and, it. And that it had been covered up by both the UK and the US. Now, certain contradictions between this affidavit and the facts recorded at the time, even, time, even in Holt's memo and recording tapes, have been pointed out, such as a 40-degree di- discrepancy in... The direction of some of the uh, lights in the sky sort of make it a little further away from the lighthouse and than uh, farmhouse. Did did Holt did Holt's second affidavit say that first affidavit? That Holt idiot. He didn't know what he was talking about. No, but we're going to come back to another another person in just a second. That's okay. actually quite interesting in the whole thing. So uh, he also mentioned in his 2010 affidavit that the. Uh, Star-like objects supposedly moved overhead and sent a laser-like beam down to their feet. Uh-huh. Now, personally, I think I would have mentioned that in something before then if it was me, but um, it seemed to slip his mind until 2010. I think now, he was doing other things in the forest at the time. So, the original base commander... Lieutenant, no, not Lieutenant, he's just Colonel Ted Conrad, provided a statement about the incident to David Clark. Now, we'll come to him a couple of times as well. Or actually, I might not be too right at the end. So anyway, forget that. Now, he's a consultant to the National Archives uh, and has investigated the background of this, of the memo and the reaction to it at the uh, Ministry of Defense. And in, in his interviews, to the personnel involved. Basically, David Clark is a really good UFO researcher and different stuff. But anyway, um, he failed to find any evidence um, on the report by the US Air Force or the uh, UK apart from the Holt memo. Right. So at this point, Colonel Codrad, base commander, stated that we saw nothing that resembled Lieutenant Colonel Holt's descriptions, either in the sky or on the ground. We had people in position to validate Holt's narrative, but none of them could. Now, in an interview, um, Conrad criticized Holt for the claims in his affidavit, saying he should be ashamed and embarrassed by his allegations that his country and Britain both conspired to deceive their citizens over this issue. He knows better. So, did, did he finish like, that with nur, 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 nur? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Conrad's disputed the, te- the, the testimony also of Jim Peniston, who claimed to have touched an alien spacecraft. He said uh, that he interviewed Peniston at the time and he had not mentioned anything, any such occurrence. You would think you would mention that. Now, Conrad also suggested that the entire incident may have been a hoax. A hoax, you say? So, just a reminder that in 1983, 
Colonel Ted Conrad, the base commander, recalls five Air Force policemen spotted lights from what they thought was a small plane descending into the forest. Two of them tracked the object on foot and came upon a large tripod-mounted craft. This, that was his statement. Uh, information before. Yeah. Sure. So before while he was he told, stick- shut up. Yeah, well, it could be said that he just told, you know, that's that's not uh, ring that uh, good old UFO (laughs) alarm bell. But while he sticks to that, he also seems to call others who stray away from what actually happened. But it's also him. He's most open to the idea of it being a host, or at least that there is no explanation. Do you think that it could be related to our previous two-part episode on Breaking Bad of the German army. (laughs) It was German soldiers with head torches on all the drugs. Well, I just just like that this guy, like the others are getting crazy with their stories. Uh, One of them touched an alien spacecraft, another beams of light coming down to his feet. Whereas this guy, his original statement was, there was some lights, we followed them. Was that Peniston? No, no, he was a toucher. Yeah, Peniston was the toucher. Yeah. But but Conrad is the one who Conrad, he's a straight shooter. He's, straight down the yeah, line, he's, Conrad. Sticks to his stories. Oh, okay, good. Okay, so so Suffolk police were called out to the scene on the nights of the initial sightings and again the following morning, but found nothing unusual. On the night of the initial incident they reported that only lights visible were from Orford Lighthouse, and they attribute the indentations in the ground to animals. Now there is a letter dated 28th of July, 1999, written by Inspector Mike Topless. Are you not making like that. these names up to protect the innocent? <laughs> I promise I'm not. Okay. So this is from a constabulary file released in 2005. But anyway, the, the letter's dated uh, 28th of July, 1999. So that's 19 years after. Um, and he notes that the police constables who attended the scene on the first night returned to the site in daylight in case they had missed something. And one stated, sure. there was nothing to be seen, and he remains unconvinced that any occurrence was genuine. So now, the immediate area was swept by floodlight beams uh-huh. from a landing beacon at RAF Bentwaters and the Orfordness Lighthouse. I know from personal experience that night, in certain weather conditions... These beams were very pronounced and certainly caused strange visual effects. What happened to the readings of the um, of the radiation of the Geiger counter? Yeah, what happened there? <laughs> well, as I said, this may have been a base that housed nuclear wep- weapons in the middle of the Cold War. Oh, like okay. So, speaking sure. of which, the UK Ministry of Defence has stated that the event posed no threat to national security. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and therefore, it was never investigated in as, as a security manner. Stealing nukes, fine. Aliens, <laughs> uh-uh. Don't mention the aliens. Now, evidence of a substantial Ministry of Defense file on the subject has led to claims of a cover-up, would you believe? Oh. Some, some interpreted this as a a larger pattern of information concerning the true nature of unidentified flying objects by both United States and British governments. However, in 2010, when the file was released, it turned out to consist mostly of internal correspondence 
and responses to inquiries from the public. A lack of any in-depth investigation uh, in the public, uh, sorry, in the case. Yeah, there was nothing. So basically it was full of old pizza menus and flyers <laughs> for local basically businesses. Basically people say, Hey, is this a thing? <laughs> Replying, no, it's not. It doesn't seem to be a thing. Someone else writes, hey, is this a thing? No, it's And they all go into this file and it gets pretty big. It was huge. Apparently, yeah. there's quite a few people interested in, you know, UFO sightings. I, I don't understand that. Now, um, included in the released files in, is an explanation given by Defense Minister Lord uh, Tefgana. I'm just going to go out on a limb here. Okay. <laughs> As why the Ministry of Events, uh, Ministry of Defense didn't investigate it. For, sure. Which was basically, there was no evidence other than things came through. Anyway, now the skeptic, skeptics have explanations. Here's what I want to hear. Lay them on me, okay. Matthew. I'm saving the best to last. But okay. basically, it, it's considered to be unknown what happened, but skeptics have explained that the sightings as a misinterpretation of nocturnal lights, a fireball, uh, the Orphanus lighthouse, bright stars, and of course, the hoax. There's not a lot of great theories in there, except for one, which we'll come back to. Everybody knows that no information means cover up. Something happened. Carry on. Well, the most plausible skeptical ex- ex- explanation... Sure. I'll have a drink. I'll be back in a second. Hey. Oh, I hate it how he does this, people. He leaves me here, trying to fill the time while he disappears off to get a drink. But that reminds me, actually, when we were younger and hanging out, there was this one time when we went out and we had a really... Okay, so I'm back. Oh. And um, so where was I? Yeah. Sorry. The most plausible explan- explanation, um, skeptical explanation, That's is the that word. the sightings were due to a combination of three main factors. Alcohol. Drugs. The initial sighting no, <laughs> was the 80s, just. <laughs> uh, the initial sightings at 3 a.m. on December 26, when the airmen saw something apparently descending into the forest, coincided with the experience, well, sorry, with the appearance of a bright fireball over southern England. Cool. As such, fireballs are common source of UFO reports. Hogwarts, the supposed, that's where they're from. The supposed landing marks um, were identified by police and foresters as rabbit diggings. Okay. And no evidence has emerged to confirm that anything actually came down in the forest. Big rabbits. According to the witness statements on December 26th, flashing lights seen from the forest uh, lay in the same direction as Orfordness Lighthouse. And when eyewitnesses attempted to approach the light, they realized it was further off than they thought. Now, one of the witnesses, Ed Cabinsag, described it as a beacon off in the distance, while Burroughs said it was a lighthouse. So there you go. There's uh, Cabinsag and Burroughs again. Coming from the local school that was coincidentally holding a kid's disco on the same night. On oh, the day after Christmas? Yes. It's, it's an English tradition. Anyway, the timings on Holt's tape recordings and his sightings on, De- on December 28 indicate that the light he saw was in the same direction as the light seen on the two earlier nights, flashed every five seconds 
which was the flash rate of the Orfordness lighthouse. Yeah. Okay. So, Jenny Randalls, oh, who reported character. the case, yep, who reported the case in the Lo- London Evening Standard in oh, 1981, that is a reputable and co-authored. Paper. This is nice and nice and close to the event. Mm-hmm. Um, co-authored with local researchers who uncovered the events. The first book on the case, which released in 1984, uh-huh. Sky Crash, A Cosmic Conspiracy. Right. In 2010, she emphasized her previously expressed doubts that the incident was caused by extraterrestrial visitors. Now, while suggesting that uh, unknown aerial phenomena and unidentified atmospheric phenomena of unknown origin may have caused at least part of the case, she did notice while some puzzles remain, we can probably say no unearthly craft was seen in Rendlesham Forest. Yeah. I, I, I don't think people are buying the book to hear that theory. <laughs> probably not. I think that's clickbait. So what, that's early so clickbait. what do you believe, Kev? I would love to believe that this has alien written all now, To be over honest... It. You didn't interrupt as much as I thought you would. <laughs> well, I thought, you got to roll on. You were feeling more yourself. Your accent wasn't going in and out too much. <laughs> I thought it was I'd all about those it. impressions in the woods, eh? <laughs> it was. Bad impressions in the woods. Uh, I, I really want to believe that that's aliens, but we know the Brits love a drink. And on a lonely army base. But this was these were these were Ameri- it was an American base. Yes, on a lonely army base where Americans are in England, they're not used to all that British drinking. So they're gonna sneak off to the pub, have a few beers. Funny you should say that, Kev. <laughs> have a few pints. What because do you got for my me? My favorite thing. <laughs> my favorite thing. We're gonna come back to David Clark. Okay. So the the British UFO researcher. Now, in 2018, Ooh. quite recently, December recent. of 2018, he reported an incident that this was all set up by British, British SAS as a revenge plot on the United States Air Force. According to his story, in August, in August 1980, the SAS parachute, so this is August, before the main event. Sure. The SAS parachuted into RAF Woodbridge to test the security at this nuclear site. You see, the uh, the U.S. Air Force had recently upgraded their radar and detected the black parachutes of the SAS Airman, and they just as they descended on the base, and the SAS troops were interrogated and beaten up with the ultimate insult, them being called unidentified. Aliens. Oh. So to enact their revenge, the SAS gave the U.S. Air Force their own version of an alien incident. Oh, As December approached, lights and colored flares were rigged in the woods. Black helium balloons were also coupled to remote control kites to carry suspended materials into the sky. Oh, I love it. I love it. Activated by radio controls. Those what S- do you think of that? Those SAS are sneaky. 
they are sneaky, sneaky. They would do <laughs> However, that. later, Clark's investigation concluded that this story itself was a hoax. Clark, but later, it sounds great, doesn't it? Clark later turned up in an interview with five broken <laughs> limbs and no nose and ears and burn marks to state that the whole SAS story was completely made up and definitely <laughs> did not happen. <laughs> nope, that's it. That's the truth right there. That's what so, I'm prepared to go with. So I think the most interesting character there is the original uh, base commander, Holty. Uh, Conrad. Oh, Conrad. No, he's the deputy base commander. Straight he's shooting where, Conrad. He, straight shooting Conrad, not Holt, who seems to change his story every 10 years. But Conrad seems to stick to his guns. As from what I could find, there's no deviation from his first report of we saw men saw some lights, Someone we go out into the woods. Lights. There, was, there was something there. Something was there. He's not saying aliens. No one saw anything. We went back. Yeah. Okay. To this day, unsolved. To this day. Well, that was quite a ride for this April Fool's I, Day edition. I should, I should say, again, um, I want to stress that I don't like that this is our April Fool's episode. Because, you know... People I'm, may not believe it. I feel like I was a little off in my research. <laughs> you know, it might have only been a D plus. Oh. So maybe... Uh, Look, maybe uh, the real Jim Atomic might want to approach that at some point with his own research. There's no need to apologize to our gentle listener. So to our dear listener, hello, thank you. And I have a Kev's closing fact. Oh, you've got a closing fact. Uh, Of course I do. That's amazing. With the closing fact. Okay, your closing fact. Did you know, Matthew, American President Jimmy Carter was he, sol- was he the president in 1980? Put solar panels on the White House, but Ronald Reagan took them down. <laughs> That's a fact. I think How? he doesn't know where they are. I say, Nancy, what were those shiny things on the roof? Oh, no. We found some more impressions in the woods. <laughs> he was signaling the boys back home. Well, all all I can say is that I believe that we have done a fantastic job of making fact schmacks into a very, very listenable podcast because when you yeah. put it up against this... <laughs> <laughs> it's it's gonna be an A plus. Absolutely. Have a great April Fool's Day. Everyone from us not at Faxmax. Not Kev. From <laughs> us at Faxmax. Yeah. Uh if you um if you want to get hold of us, um there might be something that comes at the end of this possibly that tells you how to do that. <laughs> Bye now. In this episode of Facts Max, Matt was played by Hugh Dennis. Hugh Dennis was played by Samuel L. Jackson, and the band was she Waddy Waddy. And Kevin was played by. Goodbye, everybody. 
Thank you for listening to Fact Smacks. We hope you enjoyed our show. If you want to hear more, be sure to check us out on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash facts schmacks. Or you can check us out on Facebook or on YouTube or on twitter.com at fact schmacked pod. We also have a website, factschmacks.xyz, because we know you haven't had enough yet. Sure. <laughs>